1: House.
2: How many times have we gone to bed, you know, knowing that tomorrow we're going to have to face some kind of particular situation, but we have no answer, you know, for that situation, and we're always expecting the worst, we get a terrible night's sleep, we're tossing and turning, we're wrestling with our pillow, right? We're up all night, we're worrying, we're worrying, we're worrying. And then the next day, what happens? All of the things that we're anticipating never happened at all. And then we realize that God had gone before us.
0: From anxiety, fear, or outright panic, we can easily let our worrying get the best of us if we're not careful. In today's message, Pastor Mike will remind you that the Lord is in perfect control of each and every situation. In his study, he'll encourage you to take heart in knowing that the Lord will always go before you and guide you through the times of trouble. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 11 as he continues his message, An Evil Oppressor.
2: Let's go on now in our text. Verses 4 and 5. So the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and told the news in the hearing of the people, and all the people lifted up their voices and wept. And isn't that exactly what Nahash was seeking to accomplish? Right? You know, to get them in a place where they were discomforted and confused and fearful. Well then, verse 5. Now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field. And Saul said, what troubles the people? The messengers that had arrived to bring forth that news that they weep. And they told him the words of the men of Judah. Now I also want to remind you at this time, Saul had already been anointed by God through Samuel as Israel's king. So again, He's just simply waiting on the Lord here. Now, so messengers were sent throughout the major cities of Israel, sharing the plight of those in Jabesh Gilead. And one of the messengers reached Gibeah in Benjamin. And that news became the catalyst for establishing Saul's kingdom. As I mentioned before, the time now is right to establish the kingdom, and Saul as Israel's king. Well, the news spread. People began to gather. Questions were asked. Confirmation was obtained. Notice there in verse 4, we are told the people wept. Now, why did the people uh, weep when they heard this uh, news throughout all of the tribes? Well, remember, they were all related by blood to the people of Jabesh Gilead. Their in Benjamin. And notice there, Saul, in verse 5, at that very moment, was coming from the fields, according to our text. He inquires about all of the commotion, and when he is told the facts, the Spirit of God comes upon him. According to verse 6, the Spirit of God afresh comes upon Saul. And then all of a sudden... These new abilities kick in. And he is flooded with courage, enthusiasm, and wisdom to size up the situation. You know what's going on here? Saul is experiencing one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and that is the gift of wisdom, which is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gift of wisdom. Now, what is that particular gift of the Spirit? the gift of uh, wisdom. Well, it's a wisdom beyond the uh, wisdom that we already possess to meet a specific and a certain need. Now, maybe you can relate to this. Maybe you're facing some kind of a dilemma and you don't know where to, uh, to turn. You can't figure out uh, a solution to some kind of a, a problem. Uh, you don't know where to go. And so what do you do? Well, what you should do is make your appeal unto a God. And you should seek God for this particular gift. You know, Paul says when he was addressing the subject of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, he says, covet the more excellent gift. But what is the more excellent gift? Is it prophecy? Is it the gift of healing? Well, it happens to be whatever gift you have need of at any particular uh, time. So if you're facing a dilemma or a situation and you don't know what to do, you, know, you should ask God to give you the gift of a wisdom, and God will impart that to you. So it's a type of wisdom. It's supernatural. Uh, previously, you haven't possessed that particular gift, and then God gives you it at that time, to meet a specific and certain need. And that's exactly what was going on here on this occasion. And so Saul determines what needs to be done and how to inspire others to follow him. What does he do? Verse 7, let's go on in our text. So he took a yoke of oxen, two oxen, and cut them into pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel, that is, throughout all of the 12 tribes of Israel, by the hands of messengers, saying, Whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle against these Ammonites, so it shall be done to his oxen. And the fear or the dread of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. Okay, so what the people in the other towns and cities throughout all of the tribes, saw, communicated the urgency of his message. And they responded to the call to arms. Notice again in verse 7, the fear of the Lord came upon them. Because you know why? They knew now that there was a serious leader in Israel. And who was that serious leader? It was Saul. And so anyway, they gathered together at Bezek, 330,000 uh, men, we are told in our text there in verse uh, 7, which was located 15 miles west of Jabesh Gilead. Saul must have been pretty busy at Bezek, wouldn't you imagine? Because he had to develop a workable plan, strategies, he had to organize the volunteers, he had to motivate the people, and also they didn't really have an awful lot to uh, work with. I mean, the weapons were for the most part farming tools. But nevertheless, as the strategy began to develop, Saul sent a message to Jabesh uh, Gilead's elders. And what did he say? Well, it's recorded there for us in verse 9. And they said to the messengers who came... Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have help. Then the messengers came and reported it to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. So then in turn, the elders sent a message back to Nahash the Ammonite. And it's recorded for us in verse 10, the message. Let's read that. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out to you, and you may do with us whatever seems good to you. Well, obviously, Nahash, as we will see, misunderstood the message to mean their appeal for help had failed. Remember, they were asking for seven days for them to be able to inquire about uh, uh, and consult with the other tribes before they made a uh, decision. So Nahash misunderstood the message to mean that their appeal for help had failed, and therefore that they were going to come forward now and surrender. And Nahash at this time becomes overconfident. And in verse 11, Saul and his men take this opportunity, and they make their way down the Jordan, They crossed the river and converged upon the unsuspecting Ammonite camp while it was still dark. Let's read verse 11. So it was on the next day that Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and killed Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. You know that phrase there, the morning a watch, was between the hours of 3 and 6 a.m. So they actually caught them off guard. So the route was complete, and Israel's victory was decisive. The men of Jabesh Gilead, who had expected to spend the night in humiliation and agony... In God's mercy, now instead experience His grace and goodness to them. You know what this reminds me of, and uh, I, I often offer this as a cross reference, and it's so very, very uh, true. It's rec- it's one of my favorite verses of Scripture. It's recorded first in the 30th Psalm, in verse five: Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You know, that blessedness when you go to the Lord in prayer and you don't see the immediate response of your prayer and answer to your prayer, but nevertheless, God is working. How many times have we gone to bed, you know, knowing that tomorrow we're going to have to face some kind of particular situation, but we have no answer, you know, for that situation, and we're always expecting the worst, we get a terrible night's sleep, we're tossing and turning, we're wrestling with our pillow, right? Right? We're up all night. We're worrying, we're worrying, we're worrying. And then the next day, what happens? All of the things that we're anticipating never happened at all. And then we realize that God had gone before us. And he worked out our problems for us in advance, right? So let me, let me quote that verse again for you. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And so that blessedness, you know, when we make our appeal unto God, we pray we don't see the immediate response of our prayers. But nevertheless, God heard those prayers. God is working things out. He's going before us. And uh, we will have that desired response, right? And uh, so we, must, we shouldn't fret. Uh, that shouldn't be our experience. But, you know, it's very human-like, right? Now, all of a sudden, the tide, as it relates to Saul now being appointed as Israel's first king, all of a sudden, the tide of popular opinion swung in Saul's favor. Israel was now delighted in their new king. Let's pick up now in verse 12. Then the people said to Samuel, and of course this was the result of his being their leader and routing the Ammonites. So the people said to Samuel, who is he who said, shall Saul reign over us, bring the men that we may put them to death. Those individuals who actually opposed Saul's anointing as king, remember chapter 10 in verse 27. And so the majority of the people wanted to put those who opposed Saul to death. Why? Because now they are motivated by a new spirit of identification with Saul. And so the people called to mind those who criticized and denounced him as their king. And they demanded the traitors be executed. Also notice there in verse 12, and this is something that I should have already mentioned, but the people spoke to Samuel. You see that there? Though not mentioned till now, Samuel had been a part of this campaign. So I guess he lent some kind of spiritual Uh, reinforcement to everything that was going on. Yes, Saul took the lead here in battle, but Samuel was right by his side offering spiritual counsel, I am sure. But notice, Saul did not wait for Samuel uh, to speak in response to what they have requested about putting those who opposed Saul as king to death. Because in verse 13, and once again, this is extremely commendable on Saul's part, But Saul said, verse 13, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. So, Saul perceived the real source of their victory was God. You see, he knew that God was their king, that God was their deliverer. In other words, he's given credit to where credit is due. And so, that wasn't going to happen. We're not going to put anybody to death. We're just going to rejoice in the Lord. And as we'll see, we're going to offer up sacrifices unto the Lord and thanksgiving unto the uh, Lord. We're going to worship the Lord. So all of these things that we're about to read now in the last concluding verses are all a part of acknowledging the fact that God had given them the victory. It's a celebration of what God had done. So here... Saul's spiritual and moral qualities shone as brightly as his military achievements. And so there is this inner satisfaction of the people. God had been good to them. They're anticipating a bright future. And that's always the case when God works, when God strengthens us, when God provides a victory for us, right? We want to celebrate. Unfortunately, you know, there's too much time that lapses between those times of celebration and just worshiping the Lord. It's only when God responds and we have the answers and solutions to our problems, then all of a sudden we recognize the hand of God. Hey, listen, this should be something that goes on regularly every day. A celebration of who God is, what God does for us. When God strengthens us, when God gives us the victory, right? This should be an everyday occurrence. Well, anyway, Samuel saw in these circumstances a favorable opportunity to confirm the kingdom now in Saul's hands. And then finally in verses 14 and 15 we read, then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. In other words, he's going to set up the kingdom now and Saul as the king. And so all the people went to Gilgal And there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Okay, why Gilgal? Well, a little bit of background to help us understand what's going on here. Gilgal, if you would remember, was the first place the people had camped after being led into the land of Canaan, the land of promise by Joshua, it's recorded for us in the book of Joshua in chapter 4. Maybe sometime during the week you'll have some time to read that chapter in its entirety. So the point being is that Gilgal had some history. It was the place where they had set up, remember, after they had crossed the Jordan River and finally entered into the land of promise, the land of Canaan, Remember, they had set up the 12 stones, and each one of those stones represented one of the 12 tribes of Israel. It was taken from the dry bed of the Jordan River as a testimony to what the Lord had done for them. Now, now we've talked about this before, and uh, this was a common practice among God's people, uh, Israel. Whenever God had done something spectacular for his people, they would erect a monument to remind them about what God had done for them. And the way that they did that was, you know, they would take stones and they would place them one on top of another. And then they would go their way. But over, you know, and then after a period of time, they would actually go back to that place where God had done that wonderful thing. They would often bring their children with them as well and then they would speak to their children. It was sort of a, an opportunity for them to speak to their uh, children. It was sort of like a teaching aid uh, to remind them about their heritage and what God had done for them, reminding their children that what God had done for them, they would also do for them as uh, well. You know, it would serve us well to do something of the same uh, sort. I'm not suggesting that you put you know, stones one on top of another in certain locations. But wouldn't it, be, uh, wouldn't it serve us you know, to go back to the places like, for example, where we first got saved and, uh, and it would serve to remind us of what God had done, how God had been so wonderful to us. You know, We re- revisit those experiences. And I suspect that every one of us given an, opp- an opportunity would be able to stand and share some kind of a experience as a part of their past and their walk with their relationship with the Lord. You know, something very special, not an everyday occurrence, Although there are everyday occurrences, you know, as we walk with the Lord, where we revisit those things, we we think about those things, we go back and we just express, you know, how how wonderful it is to uh, know God and and walk with the with the Lord. So anyway, that's what's going on here, and that's what Gilgal. That's the reason why Samuel brought them back to Gilgal. Gilgal was also the site of the tabernacle, that was the uh, meeting place where. Israel met with their God. So it was also the site of the tabernacle during the early conquest of the land of Canaan. They set up the tabernacle there in Gilgal. So all of this was a part of Gilgal's history. It was a part of Israel's heritage. You see, in going to Gilgal, Samuel was adding another experience, another reminder to Israel's heritage. That is the way that God had helped them. And then this assembly, according to these last couple of verses, all of the offerings, each individual family, bringing their offerings, worshiping God. It it, it lasted for about a, a one week period of time. And it was during this time, Saul and his subjects rejoiced greatly. Notice there in verse 15. In God's goodness to them. And so now, Saul is officially... Inducted into his office before the Lord and the people, under Samuel's skillful guidance, the kingdom was established in Saul's hand. I want to uh, go back to that phrase, rejoiced greatly. Rejoiced greatly. And folks, they certainly did. After all, now they felt that they had a king, that they had a leader a good leader, a good king. And it's a great blessing to be under a great, good, and victorious king. But think about this. Isn't that our own position and experience? Jesus, our good, loving, victorious king. In fact, he is recommended to us as the king of kings.
1: In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be.
0: Oh, my That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. Did you know that you could listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House and be sure to subscribe. And let us know you're a listener in the comments. We'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship, too. You can find all the information you need at HarvestNYC.org. While you're there, you can reserve your seat by clicking on Contact and then the Register link. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd, and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live-streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link, or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. Thanks again for joining us today, and we look forward to our continuing study of 1 Samuel. Next time, here on In My Father's House.
1: There's a place for me.